0: Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK Magazine and JCK Online. Today, JCK's Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski talk with John Ferry, the
1: founder and chief executive officer of Prosperity Earth.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to The Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, editor in chief of JCK, jckonline.com, and I'm with.
2: Rob Bates, News Director of JCK and JCK Online.
0: In exile again, I hear Yes,
2: yes, it's uh, a constant saga. I'm back in the burbs.
0: The burbs of Jersey. Well, and I'm in Los Angeles, as per usual. I'm always in LA these days. We've got a very different guest for this episode, and I'm super excited, largely because we, you know, I would have been in Tucson over the last week or so for the gem shows, as many of you listening would have been. And of course, most of us couldn't make it. I did see a few people on Instagram, you know, photographing samples of minerals and so on that they happened to see because they made the journey. But those of us who couldn't make it, we thought we'd bring a little bit of Tucson to you. We've got as our guest today, John Ferry. He's chief executive officer of Prosperity Earth, a mining company based in Madagascar. He's based in Greenwich, Connecticut. And we'd like to say welcome. Welcome, John. It's great to have you. And we can't wait to hear about this cool Demantoid Garnet that you mine.
1: Thanks, Victoria. Very happy to be here.
0: So you you have to tell us about your background. You and I spoke a little bit before Christmas, and I was pretty fascinated by your journey into the gemstone world. It's not the typical journey. So tell us how you got into this business and what brought you to Madagascar in the first place.
1: Genetically, I would describe myself as an entrepreneur and an explorer at heart. Uh, my journey to madagascar was very much a circuitous one going back to my college days i studied history at harvard graduated in 1998 with a BA in american history graduated with honors which I, I proudly might add out of probably half necessity and half desire to join a fast-paced professional environment i went down to work on wall street when i graduated i think within about two days of graduating and the necessity part was paying back student loans, but had a pretty good uh, 10 year run working on Wall Street, um, you know, finished up as one of the youngest managing directors in Merrill Lynch's history, but was feeling quite unfulfilled and not really pursuing my entrepreneurial desires. So I ended up enrolling at Harvard and attending the program for leadership development, where I met a friend who introduced me to Madagascar and the rest, as they say, is, is history. And what attracted you to
2: the country in particular?
1: Madagascar is an amazing country. It's the fourth largest island in the world, a hotspot of biodiversity. I've now been there um, over 65 times. I I travel there about once every two months. And Madagascar being the fourth largest island in the world has a lot going for it, despite having a lot of challenges as well as as a developing country. It has beautiful landscapes, diverse cultures, and even different dialects of the Malagasy language in the island, and I'm attracted by really the diversity and the immenseness of the landscapes and the the richness of the the flora and fauna, not to mention the mineralogical and geological richness, which is a treasure as relates to mining.
0: Well, God, I've got a few questions for you. First of all, you you didn't start... In the gem business though when you landed there in madagascar correct you were in another field
1: that's absolutely right we actually started out in agribusiness and let me actually take a step back what really attracted me to madagascar in the first place was the ability to create something from the ground up and at the same time as we profited as a private company we would be able to give back to the communities that we worked in and also be able to make an environmental contribution. And you can't go into a place like Madagascar without having both those in in mind, not to mention the the sense of adventure and exploring and trying new things. So our first entree to Madagascar was to try to do something that generated prosperity, again, for profit, but had a, a tremendous company ethos and give back component. And um, to your question, that's how we at first ended up in agribusiness and found our way into investing in a chocolate and vanilla company that was award-winning here in the States and in Europe, being sold throughout the natural food channel in the U.S., a fully bean-to-bar
2: chocolate and vanilla company that we're very proud of.
0: Hmm.
2: When you say it was award-winning, what did you do with the chocolate and vanilla to make it so good or different?
1: Madagascar being a developing country has a lot of challenges, but the blessing is that it has amazing biodiversity and mineralogical and geological richness. For cacao, for instance, there's ancient varieties of cacao in Madagascar that are found nowhere else on the planet. And these are mainly Criollo varieties, Trinitario varieties that agricultural experts had previously thought were extinct, that when we participated again, in genetic mapping, found that some of these heirloom varietals of cacao beans existed in Madagascar, and northern Madagascar.
2: And what's the brand name? The brand
1: name used to be Marekas. They've now since rebranded to Beyond Good, and it's still sold in Whole Foods. There's a little cute lemur on the package, but the current
2: brand is Beyond Good.
0: I'm a chocoholic, so I'll have to figure that out. <sighs>
2: Did you use any of the stuff that you were mentioning, the fact that it was from Madagascar, that it had this rare bean involved? Was that part of the marketing?
1: It was. It was. And in, in first and foremost, it's our belief with any product that beyond the storytelling, the product has to speak for itself. So if you're dealing with chocolate, the chocolate has to taste good. Without a doubt, we tried to, as much as possible, tell the story around the fact that we were working directly with Cocoa Farmers not just kind of visiting every month or every quarter, but we're there on the ground with them hand in hand, full time, helping them with the fermentation techniques, the sun drying techniques, and really trying to get the most value for their product, the cacao bean in this case, as as possible.
0: So you have all this expertise in being in agriculture and, and marketing chocolate. How did you and why did you jump over to GEMS and win, I should say, too?
1: So for us, creating prosperity is always the number one goal for any business that we are doing, but there's a big give back component. And part of the prosperity is reinvesting in our people, the people that work for the company, but also the community in which we work and also the environment. We have to take very much a holistic approach to doing business in a place like Madagascar because there's a lot of interdependency between people and planet community relations and environmental uh, development. So we very quickly realized after doing the chocolate business that there was a really big opportunity in the color gem space. In, In some respects, color gems is easier in chocolate in that there's no cold storage chain that needs to be respected. Color gems are a very high value, portable asset, and very open to the value added the gem cutting and the preparation of mineral specimens so for us it was a natural transition about six years ago to transition from agriculture chocolate and vanilla to color gemstones to entirely different industries those products could be brought to market in a very special way in a very exciting way that could get consumers really excited about supporting these products
0: Well, I'm pretty excited. This might be a good time to mention that I actually have some of your colored gems in my hand. Demantoid garnet. I've got both a cut specimen, a round, brilliant 0.92 carat loose stone, this bag of rough. And I've got this host rock, a matrix with the rough crystals, the mineral specimen right here on my desk. It's this awesome sort of minty peridot, I would almost call it. But I want you to tell us about demantoid garnet. I want you to tell us about what it is you mine and how it differs from the Russian material that so many people in our industry are familiar with. Tell us about this garnet.
1: First off, demantoid is a green garnet. It's the rarest of all garnets. It's actually 10,000 times more rare than diamond by our estimates. It's also the one color gemstone suitable for jewelry that has more fire and brilliance than diamond. So if you're not familiar with Demantoid, I'd very much encourage you to look at the website and get familiar with it, because in our estimation, it's it's one of the most, if not the most beautiful gemstone out there. The fire and the brilliance really is the signature feature of Demantoid and is what makes it so special. You asked about comparison to Russian Demantoid, and let me preface it by saying, well, we believe all Demantoid is exceptionally beautiful and, and rare and a very special gemstone We actually think Madagascar demantoid has Russian demantoid beat. And that's for a couple of reasons. One is that Madagascan demantoid has very sharp and clean crystallization, which really allows for that fire and brilliance to come through. And optically, that's what your eye is seeing. The fire and brilliance for the gem geeks out there is measured by dispersion. Dispersion is simply a technical term for how the gemstone actually breaks up white light into scintillating colors. We also have a very wide variety of deep saturated green, but also bluish greens and, and some even yellowish greens, but always with strong flashes of color. Demantoid has a unique optical character that makes it a really special gemstone.
0: It's really cool looking. And honestly, I feel like I've seen a lot of talk about garnets and just the family and how undervalued it is and how it's this sort of sleeper gemstone for the year and for the 2020s. Uh, you know, the family itself has got a wide range of colors, but green garnet is, you know, with savorite and other green garnets, but now demantoid and this supply. So is there, is there a lot of it? I mean, how much do you have a forecast on how much you have there in the earth?
1: Being a mine owner, there's a certain level of unpredictability that goes along with mining, and you know, for sometimes reasons outside of your control, mining can stop rather abruptly. But we believe we have a, a very special deposit and can sustain some of the market demand that we're hoping to create. You mentioned, you know, garnets just in general as a group not getting a kind of enough play, and I, I think that's absolutely right. I do think that will change. And we're going to be very proud to try to lead the charge as best we can alongside some of the other beautiful
2: garnet species out there and really celebrating what it is. How do you plan to get the word out about garnet? How do you plan to promote garnet?
1: Our goal in promoting garnet is really to reach out on a case-by-case basis to designers and independent retailers, irrespective of what size or acclaim the designer has, whether it's a startup, whether it's a well-established designer that designs and has a good brand following. We want to work with designers or even independent retailers, jewelers that are willing to celebrate Demantoid for what it is. I think it has to be about process and the process of sustainability and environmental responsibility and integrity and all the good values that should go into the ingredients of the gem and jewelry trade. So Our goal, Rob, is to connect as best possible with designers and jewelers that are willing to really embrace the story and tell it, but really, you know, display the product and allow it to achieve its full potential.
2: Going back a little bit, how did you find out about this deposit, this mine, and how long did it take you to get the whole thing set up and how deep is this thing?
1: The mine has been around for about 10 years. My business partner is the famous Italian geologist, Dr. Federico Pezzotta of Pezzotite fame. And Federico was the initial geologist who going back to the absolute beginning of when the deposit was discovered and when there was a big mining rush, which never ends well, usually lasts anywhere from six months to a year. And then that activity, which creates a lot of you know top surface and kind of local destruction, kind of dies out, people go their separate ways. And then, you know, what happens happens from the rest of the deposit. And to Federico's credit, he was the one that stuck with it, studied the deposit, really understood what the value of it was. And the fact that demantoid is is really found only in a handful of locales around the globe. But Federico was the geologist that stuck with it and really took the time to understand what the potential was and was the one that shared that idea with me, geologically speaking. And Prosperity Earth was really the one that saw the marketing potential and has kind of made the investment to get it to the point that it is today.
2: And how deep is the mine?
1: We're only mining right now down to about 15 to 18 meters, depending on exactly where we are. So the footprint is still very superficial. The depth of the mine, terminally speaking, will go far deeper to the tune of 100, even as much as 200 meters deep. I'm American, so I, I don't understand meters. Right now, we're mining down to about 30 to 40 feet. Terminally speaking, the deposit goes in excess of 300 and as much as 600 feet deep. But as is typically the case with a lot of mining deposits, your cost to mine increases exponentially the deeper you go.
0: You know, you you bring up finances and I can't help but wonder is this an expensive stone, you know, in the context of color, is it what kind of pricing can retailers and designers expect from what you mine from your product?
1: I wouldn't characterize Madagascan demantoid as expensive for what it is. We typically, you know, don't like to think in terms of absolute price points but more in terms of beauty and value. Madagascan demantoid is anywhere from 30% to 50% the cost of Russian Demantoid. So there's no doubt a origin discount, if you will, because Madagascan Demantoid is the new kid on the block, which again is not necessarily overly expensive compared to the big three Ruby Sapphire Emerald. Our goal again with pricing our product is never to try to top the market. Our goal is to really democratize Demantoid, if you will, to keep it still a very special and rare and valuable gemstone, but to make it accessible to designers so that they can actually work with it and afford to design and create beautiful jewelry pieces out of it.
0: You know, that value-added story or that element of your of your efforts, tell us about what happens. What is that value-added supply chain like? I mean, what happens when it leaves your mine before it comes into the hands of a jeweler?
1: The value-added piece for Prosperity Earth is probably the single biggest factor that we're most proud of. What value-added is, it's the continuation of our supply chain beyond just the mining level think extractives with mining where you're extracting a gem or a mineral. A lot of companies will immediately sell that gem as rough or mineral onto other companies. In our case, beyond the mining level, we have a 10 plus person gem cutting lapidary in the capital city of Antananarivo, which does precision faceting. And that's really needed for Demantoid, which has diamond-like features. The precision faceting relates to getting the angles correct, high-end finishing, polishing done to U.S. standards such that the market can actually accept the product at the highest quality levels so desired. So really, the value-added piece is about job creation for us. It's about employing people that we can train, we can build capacity, and really a component of branding Madagascar, not just as the origin of where the rough gem crystal originated, but really where the actual value-added
2: aspect took place. We often hear from you know certain companies that sell lab-grown diamonds that, oh, mining companies rip up the earth and mining is very bad. First of all, how do you protect the earth? And do you think that mining can still play a beneficial impact in local economies?
1: Mining does play a beneficial impact in local economies and large-scale economies. I would challenge conventional wisdom when someone says that mining is bad there has to be a distinction made between different types of mining and not a broad brushed approach first and foremost i would differentiate between large-scale mining medium-scale mining and small-scale mining and to be clear pretty much all color gemstone mining around the world is small scale and certainly ours fits into that category If you're a consumer that has a cell phone or any type of electronic device for that matter, the fact of the matter is is that the metal that went into those products came from the earth. They were mined. That's not to say that all mining is good. There's definitely some companies out there that push the envelope as far as not respecting the environment or the local people. But there's a lot of mining companies out there that are doing great things. We're operating on a smaller scale basis. We're providing really good, consistent feedback and benefits to the local community. Community development as relates to education, infrastructure, repairing local roads, even doing small local bridges, uh, sanitation, helping to do small agricultural projects. So I, I would definitely challenge any conventional wisdom that not all mining is bad. And certainly in the case of ours, where there's no harmful ingredients put into the soil to extract gemstones, it's pure digging. And as I mentioned, that value added component, I think mining can serve as a very positive impact for the local communities.
2: So when you talk about Madagascar as a developing country, can you give us statistics about what's the kind of average wage and you know what kind of poverty levels there are?
1: when people talk about developing countries whether it's madagascar or even to the extent some developing countries like a south africa which is its next door neighbor there's a lot of world bank standards that get used in terms of per capita gdp and that's how much people are earning on a daily basis in developing countries i think you know the standard of per capita gdp for a lot of developing countries is something like two or three dollars a day so the concept of money in developing countries, especially when you go into rural areas, is sometimes not as important as what your business activity is. Are you a farmer? Are you an owner of zebu or goats? The connotation of World Bank standards around per capita GDP sometimes matter a little bit less if you're a fisherman or a farmer than they would for someone living and working in a big city.
0: Um, Where actually is the mine?
1: Our mines located in northern Madagascar, just across from the famous tourist island of Nosy Bay, in the district of Ambanza.
2: I'm noticing you
1: got those long names really well. Do you speak the language? I don't speak Malagasy because there's north of ten dialects. So, for instance, the capital city of Antananarivo, where our lapid area is located, speaks a different dialect. It's the Marina tribe, which is the high plateau tribe very different than the northern part of the country. So if you say you speak Malagasy, a lot of times you have to differentiate and say, well, what what part of the island, what dialect do you speak? But I've spent so much time there. I've traveled to Madagascar about 65 times over the past you know 10 or 11 years. I'm there about once every other month. So through osmosis, I've, I've gotten clever in being able to understand a lot of words and sentiments, but I, I don't speak the language
0: my God. And and what is the route to get there like and to get to the mine once you land? I mean, this must take at least 24 hours, if not a lot longer.
1: That's right. Door to door, it's about 24 hours. So I've logged a lot of frequent flyer miles and and a lot of reading in uh, transit. From the capital of Antananarivo, we fly to Nosy Bay, which is about a one-hour flight. And then we take a a short taxi ride to the port of Hellville. And then we take a 45-minute boat directly across to our mine or to another port of Ankif. And then if we go to Ankif, we'll then take a two-hour drive to our mine. For me, anytime I go to Madagascar, the more rural and the more indigenous I can get, the better, because you always see colorful characters and different things that are done different ways. Um, When I was first traveling to Madagascar back in 2007, 2008, telecommunications and cell phone service was still very spotty. So it was, I have to say, you know, now looking back on it, a breath of fresh air, still going to places where you had no cell phone connectivity and you really felt like you were on another part of, of the world at the opposite side of the planet where you were just disconnected from the hustle and bustle that is 47th street in New York or, you know, the jewelry district in Los Angeles or, or these other hustling and bustling locales. And I think there's really something to be said about that. And there's certainly, in my opinion, a really strong marketability around the ruggedness and the immense natural beauty of a place like Madagascar, where it's really a flashback to a time that most of us here in the U.S. are, are not used to.
2: So your U.S. operations, as far as promoting Demantoid Garnet, what are you doing on this end to grow the business?
1: Right now in the U.S., we're wholly focused on wholesale sales and marketing of Demantoid and exclusively Demantoid at this point. We're going to be present at the big trade shows, Tucson, of course, as a member of AGTA, the upcoming JCK trade show in Las Vegas that has been rescheduled to August. So that's that's where we are right now.
0: And uh, when's your next trip to Madagascar? I'm not sure if you've been able to go as often as you'd like.
1: I I haven't been able nearly to go as often as I like Madagascar is still for all intents and purposes closed, but I'm in the process of still trying to get a special exemption to be able to go as soon as March. But as soon as Madagascar reopens, I'll be on the first flight there.
0: Gosh, I'd love to go there myself. It sounds like such a rich place to visit culturally, demologically vacation. It sounds like the beaches are fantastic.
1: Victoria and Rob, you have an open invite to come visit us anytime, take lots of pictures, write lots of stories, and as soon as it's safe to do so, I'll fully expect to see you at the mine.
0: Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.